Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the dynamic Joe Fordyce, and we have the pleasure of being joined by Al Morganti, the Hockey Hall of Famer, Al Morganti. Al, for his excellence in hockey journalism, was recently the recipient of the Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award, an honor from the Professional Hockey Writers Association. He will be enshrined in the hall on November 14th up in Toronto alongside Bill Clement. Al, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations. What has these last couple of weeks been like for you? Oh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, kind of a surprise. Um, I feel bad for Bill Clement having to go in with me. He's had to drag me around his entire career, uh, <laughs> right from Atlanta when he was with the Flames and I was covering them, to Philly with the Inquirer, to ESPN, uh, to, you know, here in Philadelphia. It's been, <laughs> I kind of feel bad that he's had to kind of deal with that. But I mean, I, it's, been a, it's been a real, uh, real whirlwind. Let me fix this camera a little bit here. There you go. Not a technical expert, uh, as you can tell with these old school headphones. This is back from the 80s when I started. This is what <laughs> you used to wear to hear people. So <laughs> we'll go from there. It's been cool uh, hearing from a lot of people back home. Um, back, uh, you know, I started covering high school hockey. Some of the guys from way back then, like the biggest miracle since Lake Placid. So I'll just take it. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We've had a lot of uh, mystery guests on that, right? Uh, the, particularly the ones from the 80s, like uh, I, I, Murray Craven comes to mind. And uh, of course, we've had talk on and so forth. And uh, the guys who haven't spoke to you in a while, they're always, they always say something like... Um, Al, you're still working. Still you're work. still covering this team. Um, so, what what's it like for you for you to catch up with those guys that you covered, you know, thirty plus years ago in those Stanley Cup final runs with the teams in the '80s? But it's kind of cool. I mean, some you see around, obviously they're with the team or whatever. But I like when you go to the golf tournament, the alumni tournament. Um, it, it's from a different era, I guess. You could be more. I don't go in the locker room as much anymore because I'm just doing post game. So I don't even really have to do anything like that. But I mean, after you travel with guys, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm from such a, um, a distant galaxy that we actually, when I traveled, we traveled commercial with the players. Now that think about that now. I mean, my first Flyers team, when we traveled, we would take a commercial flight, and you know, if you really got really special treatment, there was an open middle seat. So I mean, we literally traveled with the teams, came back and forth, and. Uh, you really got to know people on a really much more personal basis than now. I'm not saying better, worse or whatever. Uh, it's just the way it was. And uh, I, I've often, I mean, I get, there aren't, I don't think there's three people in the whole sport. Never mind just the flyers that I haven't been able to count as like a friend, <laughs> which is, I know some people say, well, that's odd for uh, you know media, but it's the way it was for us, for many of us. And, 
frankly, I ended up with a good bunch of guys. Those, those guys in the 80s, I mean, look at the people we've worked with here. I mean, you know, we uh, Talk was on TV with us. And, uh, Primo was on TV for a while. Bundy had all this legendary run. It's uh, all kinds of stuff that I've, I've continued to be with. Billy, I just mentioned, was in, uh, was, I was in studios with him. So I, in addition to that, I've worked with a lot. But when I see him afterwards, in the first place, because I do TV, people kind of know who I am still. And I don't look, you know, I look different, but they, they've seen me. But when you go see some of these guys, you know, I don't know who's... It's that they look so different from when they're kids coming up. Like I know Halsey, you got the new hair. I still know who you are because you still got still got the same same basic look. Right. But, but and, you know, thirty. Imagine thirty years from now. It's like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Al, I was curious. Has anyone reached out that kind of blew you away? Like you weren't expecting to get a congratulations from uh, them. You know, a lot of the guys, I mean, and Lou Lemieux and people, but the Ronnie Dugay was the one I was like, Ronnie Dugay. I mean, of all, you know, because uh, I covered him in Germany. And and uh, so, I mean, he, you know, he sent some stuff. There's been a lot, um, but it's it's really for the writers um, that I went along with. Um, so many of them are in already in the Hall of Fame. You know, Jimmy Matheson, uh, Ed, Eric Duhatchik in Calgary. Guy, um, I'm sorry that Jay Greenberg passed away because... It really is quite amazing when you look back that two people covering the same team in the same era were kind of given an award like that, which, and, and, you know, to even add to it, Ray Didinger was covering, was at the Daily News and Jasner was covering the uh, Sixers. So it was a real, a real, uh, Jason Stark uh, was, was with the Inquirer covering baseball. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's like, that's how strong Philadelphia media is. And, and a lot of it is, you know, people make a big deal that, well, the players in Philly have to raise their level, but everybody has to raise their level if you're covering sports. I mean, in, in, in every aspect of it. I mean, if you don't know what you're talking about, I mean, you're going to be called out pretty quickly. So, I mean, I'm kind of proud that I came up with, with that group of people. So the real attaboys or stick taps are from people in the media, because let's face it, it's not the Hall of Fame for you know, the scrubs that played uh, JV hockey. It's, it's, it's the Hall of Fame for people to cover the game. Yeah. Al, I wanted to ask you about, because Ray Dinger told me a story a long time ago. This was probably 10, 10 or more years ago. He told me about how he was covering a playoff series in Boston, and I, I can't recall the year, but Tom Brookshire, who you, of course, used to work with on the morning show, mm -hmm. was there for um, Channel 10. Right. And I guess at the old Boston Garden, the press box was basically in the stands. Yeah. And that um, I guess as some of the Boston fans started to get into it with the Philly media and Tom Brookshire, the former being the former football player, decided he was going to challenge some of the Bruins fans to fight <laughs> the Philadelphia media. Talk about the difference between covering hockey in your early years as opposed to now and and how something like that story I just told <laughs> seems like something that would happen in a movie. It would never happen in real life anymore. Well, it happened a lot, especially when you covered the Flyers, because, you know, they had that reputation. You know, the Bruins were the same thing. And I remember the media people in Washington. I remember one guy stood up in the press box, the Spectrum, and there was a bad call against the Caps. And he just stood up with the other guy covering from Washington. Said, That's the way it's going to be. We're leaving. Like, well, 
you got to cover the game. <laughs> I, I remember in Colorado being challenged to something and like, you know, I, I'm not going to fight. I mean, you're not, you're not there for anything, but it was, it was pretty amazing what happened. I got along with almost all of the media, but you know, the press boxes were right in the crowd and, and especially in, in Philly, they were right there. And boy, there were some they were nasty because people knew you. Um, what was going on, what you happened to write before or whatever. And they got to know you played so many times against the Rangers or whatever. So they would get all over. It's so, it's so different now. It's, um, and people, you know, people always think it's better back in the day, whenever and it was fun. It was, it was the heyday for newspapers, but to be really honest, it's, uh, I think it's much more difficult to cover it on an everyday basis right now compared to what I did. Um, I traveled with a team, got to know people, wrote about people. Uh, there was no social media. So I would just have to write one or two stories or maybe one during a game, one after a game, and then an off day, whatever, and you wrote about people. But now I, I watch what's being done, going to practice, uh, the videotaping. you got to be your own videographer. Then you have to go on and do your own sound. And then you have to know the technicalities of everything. And you have to have people calling you out all the time. I mean, for somebody to write a letter to the editor was a lot of effort. It's a little, lot different than going on a Twitter or IG or whatever and, and you know, yelling at the, you know, uh, capitalizing and yelling so-called at the, at the author. Well, it happens all the time now. I mean, you make one comment and they're all over. You made a mistake. That was, uh, you know, that was so-and-so. It wasn't so-and-so. It was like, big deal. But it's, uh, it's like, well, I know more than you. It's, uh, it's like everything. It's, uh, it's louder. I, I think there's far more put on somebody covering a team right now in terms of how much you have to do and not so coincidentally how much you have to know. I was lucky having played the game even at a lower level and really coming up covering high school hockey, coaching, all that. So I, I kind of knew stuff. And, but now you really have to know uh, that if you're uh, lined up wrong at a face-off dot, something didn't work. Back in the day, I swear to God, half the people didn't, they didn't know. I mean, it's doing the score. Who scored the goals? Well, now, you know, you're going to break down that face-off. What happened? How did it happen? Who's got what responsibility? Why is this left wing over on that side? There's so much more now. I, I think it's a way, way more difficult job. I, I kind of, I think, was in an era that it was far easier. And mostly in part because we, I, I frankly, I wrote a lot about people and now it's a lot about the technicalities of the game al i wanted to ask you about um my i'm guessing from talking to you over the years uh the most controversial thing that you had to cover in your career was of course the saga with eric lindros which is one of the biggest sagas in the history of philly sports let alone just the flyers so what was it like kind of being pulled in different directions because you were talking with eric eric's parents Eric's lawyers, everybody involved. What was that whole thing like for you to be right in the middle of it? Well, I guess the first thing I have to ask is which part of the saga? <laughs> I, mean, I, I would I would say the part the part that um, eventually. Are we talking led about the draft, the, the draft, or the uh, concussion? I mean, which not not, not the draft part, more so the part that began, that started the, the, I guess the beginning of the end for Lindros and the Flyers that led to their ultimate divorce. What was that like to be right in the middle of? Well, I was with two different entities. The it started out, you know, in, in the newspapers and then over toward television. And basically, what it was was 
you were hired to cover the NHL or a team, and you ended up covering two things, Eric Lindros and then hockey. And basically, the Eric Lindros thing became you're always dealing with the business side or the legal side of everything. So you'd have to cover the story from like a million different angles. And you also had to try to maintain a relationship um, with either side. I always liked, I mean, Eric was a, a funny guy when he came up um, and told jokes. I, I, I liked Eric a lot. And then, then with their like okay what about the concussions you became it became like a it, it became like a study in something else a medical a medical story and I, I feel bad now because all the evidence that's come out that you know there's all this truth to all this concussion stuff that went on but at the time we were kind of flying blind in it and it was a it was a really really difficult task there were a lot of at that time there were fax machines so I'd go home and there'd be all these pages of medical stuff from Carl Lindros. And it was like, wow. I mean, we're talking, I'm not talking about once in a while. I'm talking about a lot. When you look back at it, a lot of the stuff was, you know, stuff you now is now taken as this is the way things are done. It wasn't back then. So you had to be careful on where you were going with it. It became, it became a really, really ugly story. And I felt bad for Eric because his, his, I, I really think they didn't do him any favors, his, his parents. Um, but I mean, they were looking out for his, his, his health, which was important, but boy, I'll tell you, it was, uh, it was really, really difficult to try to keep everything in perspective because you're trying to cover a team, trying to win the background of knowing what a lot of people in the locker room really, really thought. And it wasn't good on a, in a lot of cases. And you tried to keep that uh, the person, the, the personal affronts out of it. And I look back and I go, man, that was a, it was a landmark thing to cover. And, uh, it's a, it's a story that doesn't play well. And if you look back and you realize what we know now on, on how, uh, Eric got, a, I think a lot of people didn't like him at the time thinking we never heard of anything like this. This is uh this is, this doesn't make any sense to those hockey players just wind them up and they play. And I think we found out it's it's far different now. However, you have to remember at the time what you're going through, what's expected. And um, there were a lot of people that didn't think that he was at a hunt that he would going to give us hundred percent. Looking back now, you realize eh, it may have been the first of many, many cases with concussions. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Yeah, it's really interesting because when you look and, and, you know, he gets into the Hall of Fame and the whole concussion thing is really a huge part of his legacy now. 
and his brother Brad had to retire from concussions. And it's it like you said, it's a totally different atmosphere surrounding that. You know what ultimately was the thing that probably cost him from realizing his maximum potential was his you know tendency to get concussions and the way he played obviously at that size um you know it, it really is an interesting part of his legacy one other thing i wanted to ask you about is so when you were doing espn and the radio and wip i'm in talking to you over the years i know there were times where you would be covering a game somewhere else in the country <laughs> fly back overnight to do the radio show in philadelphia what was the, what were those years like for you having to do that crazy travel schedule to work both of those jobs simultaneously? Yeah, it was. I mean, this is what I always tell people when they want people that want to get into the media. It's like you see people making uh, you know millions of dollars doing media, and for most of us, it's like you just don't turn anything down. You just don't. I mean, I'm not, a, you know, if you're really, really good, you can say, OK, well, I'm Stephen A. Smith or something. But Stephen A. was an, an inquiry columnist. He did a lot of work before. So it was like I was in no position to turn anything down. Um, and frankly, I like to work, which is why I'm like a million and still working. But <laughs> but it was like, why, why would I turn this down? I mean, I, I love doing ESPN. I loved hockey coming into Philadelphia. I mean, you know, it didn't pay a whole lot doing that. So I'll do some radio too and make things work together. Like I've always, I've always had like three and four things going at the same time. And I think the key was having everybody think he doesn't need this. So we have to, you've got a. there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a kind of power on your side if you don't have to have it to be able to say, hey, well, I, I, I can turn, but I would never turn it down because I just, if if I'm not there, I would always think somebody's going to come in and do a better job, <laughs> and then I'll lose my my job because they'll come in one day and just do a great job and you're gone. So I mean, it's always like um, so I, I think players are like that too. Like you know, I want I want to go out in the lineup. If I go out of the lineup, who knows? This guy might score three goals and I'm not going to get back in. I'm not going to I'm going to lose my spot. So I just basically I'm in anything I've done. I'm like the fourth line checking winger. That's my job to come in. When I go on TV, I legally, I've said this, I could legally change my name to my first name to and because it's always, you know, Taryn and Al or Bill and Al or so and so and Al and be like that. So, I mean, I've always been like a complimentary type of a thing. And the most important thing was I like doing it. I mean, you know, people say, well, you know, I have to work all these hours, but my God, like I've, worked, I've gone through a whole life covering watching hockey games now how cool is that i mean really is i'm going to complain about that i'm going to take a red eye back from to go do the radio what do i have to do on the radio i'm talking about games if i wasn't doing that i'd be going working somewhere else and at lunchtime i'd be talking about games so why don't i get paid for it that really is great advice for aspiring journalists Al, I think that's why you built so many relationships with so many people and and you're now in the, you know headed for the hockey hall of fame is because you were open to things. You didn't turn people down, uh, and that built relationships. Yeah, you don't turn it down, and you don't look at anything and say it's not going to work. Right. I left the Inquirer for a, um, you know, ESPN, which I'm old enough to remember when they said that's not going to work. I went to the National Sports Daily, which they said wasn't going to work, and it didn't. 
we've got two years out of it though, and it kind of preceded something like the athletic. Uh, you know, local sports on, on TV, uh, local sports radio left that. They said that's never going to work. Well, you just never know. And now, I mean, I, I see people saying, "Well, a blog. I mean, that's how's that going to work?" Well, it is. I mean, pe things change. The way things are done is 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 things evolve into how people watch sports. And I, the worst thing you can do is just dismiss and say, "Oh, that." Yeah, that's not the way we did it. Well, no, it's not the way you did it, but it got better. You know, more it's more opportunity. And hockey's always been, I will give this to hockey. It's always been at the um, leading edge when things change because hockey's not as big as basketball, football, obviously baseball. So hockey fans have always had to navigate to where there's information. If you wanted it, it was the last one in newspapers. You had to get the newspaper to get hockey because it wasn't being covered on the national level. So locally, you had to get it. So now if there's a hockey blog out there, whatever, um, a podcast, well, you're probably going to get it because you're used to, as a hockey fan in America, you're used to searching, finding, and finding out, no, these people know what they're talking about. There's no baloney in it. It's not like everybody thinks they know football, right? Oh, it's third down. They're going to pass. Ooh, wow. This, this is what happens. This is how it's done. And hockey is a little bit different. If you're really a fan of it, say, well, I got to go to somebody that knows because the general, the general public, when they're talking about hockey, go, oh, did he score a goal? Well, yeah. Then, then he had a good game. Well, no, the other stuff happened, but it doesn't matter. So hockey fans from when I was a kid, would know i'll go there that's where i'm going to get my information so to make that turn to go to a, a blog go to a podcast or whatever was not difficult for hockey fans so i was like oh, i'll go be part of it i'm i want to get left behind i like all this new stuff you certainly did not get left behind that's for sure well you know i'm they, with that i was though that there is that one kind of thing that one child left behind yeah, here <laughs> <laughs> Al, I wanted to ask you about um, probably what I'm guessing is one of the more difficult things that you had to deal with in your career, and that was um, the tragedy with Pelly Lindbergh in the mid-'80s. I know you had a um, – you mentioned about the personal relationships that you developed because of the nature of the way you covered the team at that time. So when that happens, um, it's obviously devastating. How – how tough was it to, to navigate the personal relationship with covering that tragedy as a job? And, and really, what, what, what was the atmosphere like around that team when that went on for, uh, you know, a lot? I mean, I was only uh, f probably five, I think five years old or four when that happened. So I obviously don't remember. But just what was that? It was this time in media where it's not like now where you find out everything on your phone and it's kind of, I guess, take us inside of what, how you navigate yeah. all of that. Well, I mean, I, you know, I had, I was pretty close to uh, Pelly and his fiance at the time. I mean, he was supposed to be at my wedding and uh, just earlier in September. Was that when I married in September? I'm going to get killed. Yeah. So I was, he was supposed to, he was supposed to be there, but his, that car was being delivered to the port of Baltimore that weekend. So, so he didn't, he couldn't come. And, and I remember I went a lot of places with Pelly on the road. I, I mean, I like automobiles and I, and I remember this is no secret. I mean, I wouldn't drive with him anymore. I just said, I can't, I mean, I don't have a stomach for it. Uh, and, and, 
I think everybody had told them that. And, you know, eventually it, it, it happened. But I think, you know, I'm, I was in my mid-20s then. Most of the team was in their mid to early 20s then. Talk, I mean, all, all, all of those people um, were, and Mike was, you know, a new coach. And for many of us, we hadn't dealt with any sort of death before. Uh, you know, you're just not, it's not real until you deal with it. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people have had to deal with it earlier in life. But for many people, until a friend, um, you lose a friend that way, or teammate in their case, a friend in my case. And that made it all the more, like, surreal. And, and you, you learn not just how tight a hockey team was, but just life lessons in it. The shock that when, when is as much as a hockey story, it was a, a story of young people dealing with the finality and the, the, the sadness of the death. I mean, I, I think the most amazing part to many of us was, <laughs> this is gonna sound awful, but when you killed or you stay dead, it sounds stupid, but there's a shock originally and you think it's a story or it's like a dream or something. It's like, and then the real part of it comes after the funeral, we go in a lot and he's not there. That was the hollowness afterwards was far more devastating uh, than the actual story was a shock, but your body deals with shock and physically, mentally, it's just for a little while. I think that's why people putting together funeral, it gives you something something that to make you continue to function but then you're just not there anymore and to this day it's a bonding experience i think it's why that team was so tight and as much as keenan could be difficult <laughs> uh, i i mean in in, in that in that period of time there you, you saw what you needed and pool in and team leaders like that to kind of pull things together and it it made it uh forever a, a team that was bonded by an awful awful situation yeah, uh, we, this past season when uh, everyone was in town for the um, uh, the alumni game in the Flyers Hall of Fame, we um, Taryn spoke with uh, Mike Keenan, and I remember standing there. Mike was talking about it during the interview and got emotional then. And this is, you know, what thirty seven years yeah. later. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just one of those tragedies uh, in the history of Philly sports. Right there with the Jerome Brown um, few years after that with the Eagles. So, um, yeah, I had to imagine that that was a very, um, yeah, a difficult time. And that was part of the reason you, people remember your writing because of stuff that went on. And that's where you went. You went to the newspaper at that time. Now it would probably be TV, radio, the uh, social media, certainly right away. All the condolences kind of come rushing in. You can do a video of it. None of that existed. So I was in that spot where you literally were a conduit, um, which doesn't happen often anymore. Um, but at that time, it really was. You were the connection to what the players were feeling. They didn't have their own um, their own media platform to do it. If anything happens, like unfortunately, it still happens like today, a player will just go on, get a camera, go on and explain everything. Then you depended on people like me or whomever uh, to kind of put it together and, and bring to the public what their team was feeling. Flyers Talk is brought to you by Great Railing. Stop into Great Railing for the highest quality and lowest prices on all your railing, decking, and fencing needs. Well, Al, I, I really wanted to ask you about what it was like covering the Ed Snyder Flyers. From what I heard, Ed was so plugged in. He was so in touch. He, he knew who was, who was writing about his team 
who was saying things about his team. Keith Jones told me he felt that Ed Snyder had a real respect for you because the Flyers were always interesting in your stories. Good or bad, you covered it and you made them interesting. What was it like covering Ed Snyder's team? Well, it was uh, – Ed Snyder had a um, – I think his biggest plus in, in terms of owning the team and running the team was you felt like what the Eagles are now, you felt that was the Flyers. And he got that message into his locker room, which is why I think he welcomed the criticism because he knew that the criticism meant you were being paid attention to. Um, and I think that was the real value that everybody that came to play in Philadelphia thought everybody in Philadelphia is watching us. It really is awful if we lose. Uh, it's, it's a, I don't want to say a disgrace, but it's like you have people down. And yeah, I go to, I mean, I'd had our, Ed would yell at everybody. So, I mean, I, I remember, it, you know, he just, the, the biggest argument I ever had with him and was um, he didn't want to sign Russian players for a while. Um, it had to do with a political stance or a, a Soviet Jewry and stuff. And, and I just, I, I wrote a thing and said, this is, this is not good for the organization. This is going to set him back. I, I, you know, I, I can understand your political views and what's going on. Funny now today, you might want to argue the same thing. And uh, I said, but if you're just looking at it in a hockey sense, you have to, you, or you're going to get left behind. And boy, did we go, <laughs> where do we go back and forth on that? You know, take you out to dinner, try to switch your mind. And I'm like, well, I, I mean, I respect it. And, you know, eventually you had to, if things changed on either side, but I respected his, his side. And, even if he yelled, like, I remember once being on a golf course and getting a call, and um, this was later when there were cell phones and stuff, and it was, I was with ESPN, and it's like, yeah, you know what? You might have had a, a little bit of a point there or something. He's not going to totally give up. But he was just so entrenched, and I just loved going down the locker room, and after a loss, just seeing that red face come down and, and, and how it was going to be. A, you know, it can't be like that anymore. I, I think... A lot of people say, well, that'd be nice if it was like that anymore. Well, it's not. I mean, it's just not. Uh, you got to make, you know, it's, it's a different world. I don't know that anything could be like that anymore. He sold it. I mean, you know, that, that's, where, that's where you're at. And, I, and the best thing ever with Ed was, you know, when, when I started at radio, Ed, Ed owned the station, the radio station. And, you know, they were looking for a morning thing. And I'm like, you know, Ed, and I always called him Ed. I don't understand this Mr. Snyder. He never asked anybody to call. I mean, that's crazy. I, they just did. Clarkie did it all the time. So, and he, I said, this Angelo, this guy, you know, he'd be pretty good in the morning on the radio. And they go, well, yeah, but he can be a bit of a, you know, jackass. <laughs> yeah, but, but on the radio, it's going to be really good. I mean, so, you know, he talked to Tom Brookshire and they agreed to give him a, a chance. And then, man, then all, you know, then it got, and it's like, then he called it his Frankenstein monster. <laughs> then he created this thing and then he sold it to get Eric Lindros. So, so it came, came like full circle, but it was, it was fun. It was fun with a number of owners that you got to know, uh, that you went around and saw. And some of that's been lost. And, and, I, and I feel bad sometimes you say, well, a corporation can. And well, corporations own the Rangers. I mean, it happens. That, that, that's the way it is. But you, you can't go back in time. It was, it was wonderful. It was, uh, I came, look, when I came to Philadelphia, I didn't come all that much to work for the, I actually thought I was going to end up in Philly and then go to New York or Boston. I came to Philadelphia, I had options at that 
for believe it or not, options to go here or there. And I came to Philadelphia, not so much for Philadelphia, not so much for the Inquirer. I came for the Flyers because having covered the league and even marginally in Boston when I covered high school and college, you get to know a lot of the Bruins or whatever. And the way that they did things was just like, I'm like, that's where I want to go because they want to win so much and they're always going to be interesting. And, and the, the owner is going to give you plenty and it's, they're, ne they're never going to slip. And then I saw what happened when they slipped. But at that time it was like, you, you want to go there. Every city you went to was a big, the Flyers came into town was a big deal. I'm not talking to Broad Street bullies either. I'm talking afterwards. It was a big deal coming in that I wanted to be with either an original six or one of those teams that was shoulder to shoulder with the original six. And they were shoulder to shoulder with the original six. And there was no question that they were going to be there. They weren't going to be like Minnesota that had to go somewhere else or, or whatever team. Uh, the Blues were pretty close. Um, but I, I wanted more than anything, not Philadelphia, not the Inquirer. I wanted where I wanted to cover the Flyers. So, Al, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, along the Ed Snyder lines, covering a team, Ed Snyder owner, Bob Clark, GM, uh, never a dull moment is, uh, I imagine, is a good way to describe that. Yeah, Bob was a, I mean, I covered him as a player, um, general manager, whatever, other teams that he was at. Brutally honest. Uh, there was no speed bump between his brain and his mouth. So whatever, <laughs> whatever is going to happen. And I, I learned with Bob, though, that I knew this is going to sound crazy. I knew what he was saying might not be exactly what he was saying. <laughs> like I knew when when like if he'd go off and say, well, he's going off, but he really respects this guy. Like I didn't didn't want to paint the picture that he's really burying somebody beyond what he really thinks. He gets mad. He would get mad and say things. But he, his, um, his unwillingness to give anything up, um, recovering as a, as a player was ridiculous, the pain he'd play through. I remember I couldn't even, I would hate to interview him. He, you know, at the time he's had broken this, broken that, whatever, everything broken. And he'd Poor, I don't know how this stuff called DMSO, it was this, this, I don't know, I think they use it on animals that are dying or whatever. And he'd pour it on himself as a painkiller, but it would sink into your skin, then come out your breath. And I'm like, I ain't interviewing him tonight. He's got that DMSO. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to die too. <laughs> and and that, that's the extent that he would go through to play, to play through the pain. So when he was a GM, he just couldn't understand if anybody didn't want to go through a wall. Uh, that, he, that he'd want to do it. And he would do anything to win, even as a GM, um, whatever advantage. I mean, you know, just he, he didn't understand how you couldn't. So things sort of got away from him there, like the new age. You know, new, it was, it, this is why it kills me to say new age. It was new age then, in the 80s, in the 90s. You know, people say, oh, these athletes, let's just, it goes on forever and ever. And he just didn't, uh, didn't adjust to some of that. But boy, I'll tell you, he was a loyal guy to his players. He would, he might criticize, but he would, he would back them up ultimately. And he was a, he, he was a tough GM in terms of just contracts. Like if you were a player and you said, look, Bob, I'm in, I'm in uh, some distress here. I can, I borrow a $300,000. He, he'd write a check right there. But if you went in the next day and say, uh, can you give me a raise for 25 cents? You go, no. 
So that's, that's, just, that's just how he was built. And uh, the Lindros thing really wore on him um, after a while because I think he didn't like the criticism of, this, of the crest, the flyer crest being, being criticized and the trainers. He, his loyalty to trainers was as much as players, if not more. Um, that what they were doing because he to him it was like working class thing like uh, these guys they're up at five in the morning they're doing this how can you how can you question our, our trainers type of thing and that's what I, that's why I think the Linders thing really really uh, got to him Al do you have a season that was most memorable or from for you to cover from a personal standpoint probably 87 okay uh, that 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 series there because there were so many great Oilers um, and I really liked the Oilers. I mean, those guys were, you know, Gretzky was terrific to deal with. Coffee was terrific to deal with. Uh, the goalie Fiore, um, they, they were fun. Sather was <laughs> great to deal with at that time. They were so open, and the Flyers to take them to that to that extent in that in that series. That's probably my favorite. Philadelphia, uh, not see. I'm going to get killed for this. My favorite, otherwise, was the '94 Rangers, um, because you know it, they've been hearing that 1940, whatever. Although now in Philly, it seems like it's that long. But I mean, it was so big, and with Messier there and what he'd done previously, uh, and Keenan was there, and uh, it was just Madison Square Garden. It, I know people in Philly don't want to hear it, but yeah, you go there, you know what it's like. It's just I don't know. It's bigger, <laughs> and, and and when they won it, it was just unbelievable to me. But the difference is, when the Flyers win or the Sixers or the Eagles, whomever, it's the you go outside and it affects everybody for weeks. It's like you can't go anywhere. Even though the Rangers were huge, if you went two blocks away from Madison Square Garden the night they won, there'd be people dancing in the streets, not even knowing what the hell, no idea, <laughs> not even on the radar whatsoever, none. It's that's the difference, and that's why I prefer this market uh, in Philly. I think it's more. It's it's you can't hide in it, and that '87 season. I mean, look, I've never covered them winning a cup, which I mean, I I mean, I'm running out of time, guys. You know, so I mean, be, be it would be nice, and uh, but I I don't equate you're only a great franchise if you get rings. I equate it. You have a chance at it. You've made a run at it. You kept everybody interested in it. You're in the mix for it. Um, that's what I miss. I, I want. I want you to go into the playoffs first. Just go to the playoffs, and then beyond that, you know, there's a chance here that that you can get it, and it's interesting because hockey now, hockey now, and this is where I'll I'll then now become the guy on the what they call old guy on the lawn yelling at clouds or whatever, and that's not the the cloud from this internet. So it's it used to be even if you didn't win, you go to a game and hockey is best played on the absolute edge of mayhem. You know, you don't want to go over the mayhem, but you want to be there. It's great. It's like playoffs. And now because some of the physicality is taken out and boy, I'll tell you, the game's so much faster. And if, you, if you're winning, it's great. But that's the key. If you're winning now. It's great to watch. You watch your guys, you watch the speed, and you went home and you saw something terrific. If you don't win, the, the, a lot of the physical stuff that you used to go for and you'd be entertained by a game is 
erased. It's not there. And that is why I think winning right now is so important because that other element that you used to go to and it was always close is just not there anymore. When you get behind by two goals previously, well, all right, something's going to happen. You get back in it. Get behind by two now. You can't play that card anymore. You're going to be, you're going to get a man down. You're going to get a power play against you and it's lights out. And so I think that really has hurt just in terms of you're, if you're not a top team to have something that you went to the, you went to the arena for and you came home with stories. <laughs> now, if you lose, there aren't that many stories anymore. Al, one more for you about that eight, you mentioned 87 team. So when JJ Daniels scores the goal in game six, <laughs> yeah. They go to Edmonton for game seven, and Murray Craven scores to put them up one nothing in game seven. At that point, do you think I'm covering a Stanley Cup winner tonight? Let's put it this way. If I gambled and there was like FanDuel and all the other stuff, whatever, I would have been betting the Oilers even after that goal. <laughs> I just – I mean, it was just remarkable to me that they went that far. I mean, if they had – if they had their full lineup, I, I think I would have been covering. I, I could have been covering the Stanley Cup winner. But man, you're asking an awful lot to go back there, and then all those Hall of Famers, and and you know people think of Gretzky as this skinny guy with just all this talent. I mean, that guy had a what a motor, and it's just a <laughs> do anything. I mean, I think like Clark uh, to to get that thing done. So. No, I don't think so. I did. I do think if they, their lineup wasn't hammered with injury, I think there was a, a chance. But man, even if they got that, I just, I just thought going back there, I'm like, this, this just, this, the odds are just too long on this thing. Yeah, and that that collection of Oilers, or many of them at oh. least, the older version of them goes on to win the cup with Keenan and the uh, the '94 Rangers, as yeah. you mentioned. So, yeah, there, um, there was there was a Hall of Famers. I mean, it's a. It's remarkable to have that many guys together. I mean, the Flyers, I've had some great players to cover, but that bunch there was like, oh, my Lord. Al, I'll finish us off with a question about today's Flyers. Obviously, we're talking about the past Flyers where they were very much relevant. They were the Flyers. I feel like that's been lost a little bit, but do you feel like, do you feel like there's reasons for optimism that they can get back to relevancy, contention? And what would you tell fans that are probably losing patience at this point? Well, I would tell them what, Tortorella, it's going to be interesting. Um, he, he's going to get the most out of whatever he had. I was really, really um, taken aback by the Farabee news. I, I don't think that's a small deal. Um, I mean, they tried to, I guess, play it off as best. Oh, you know, he's got the disc. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, this is a big deal. And I'm really nervous about Ellis, uh, despite their best hopes you know, haven't seen what happened previously. So I'm worried about those. I do know that the, that the coach will, will, will squeeze the most out of him. I mean, he's, you know, he, he treats a lot. I mean, and a lot of players, you know, you have to treat like a thing of toothpaste. There's more stuff in there. You just can try to get more and more out of it. So he'll, he'll try that. And I think the goaltending's all right. And I think coming, I'm not worried about Couturier. Bertuzzi came back after a back thing. So I think he'll be all right. I think the key is going to be, what the general manager can get by removing people. I mean, if he can get something for JVR to, to free up some space to go get a good draw or, or whomever, but he has to get some space. I'm assuming right now, as we're speaking, he's calling around to see if he can't get somebody to, even if it's, uh, it wouldn't be out of, out of the world that, you know, he's calling Boston for Hayes uh, to see what, what can I do here? 
um, and then maybe get a draft pick, maybe Gautier, whomever. Maybe they, they get lucky. Maybe they get maybe the, the gods that had them get Nolan Patrick get them something in, in, in this. Won't be easy. And I'm, those two things really worry me. Ellis, Ellis worries me. I mean, I, I understand that everybody says, oh, yeah, it's looking good. But, you know, I, I, until I see it and, and I'm sure of it going into a month into the season or whatever, get back on skates, let me see something. I think that's a, a genuine, genuine worry. But I do think that you were talking relevance. I think John Tortorella immediately makes you relevant um, because he'll 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 break it down um, in terms of simplicity, um, the, the very basics and, and what you want to hear. Uh, you want to hear after a game. He's um, not going to hammer players. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll call people out for a mistake, but he's pretty protective of his people. And he'll make it so that you want to, when I'm doing, when I'm with there with, with, with Taryn and, and Scott, especially now with, with, uh, with Torts there, I think it's going to be a, a wicked, a, a very interesting, a very interesting, God, I keep slipping back into that. See what happens? <laughs> you're not in the Hall of Fame because you're wicked smart because you're wicked old. <laughs> so, I think it's going to make it that much more interesting. That was my first reaction when uh, Tortorella got hired. I said, well, our shows are definitely oh, going to yeah. be interesting it's, next no, year. I, you know, those shows, you know, you're, you know, Halsey comes on to set it all up, you know, early. What are you going to watch? You're watching this. And then, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of people. That that's a that show with Taryn, with Taryn and Scott is just – I'm. I'm so happy that they'll have me tag along with them because it's uh, it really is fun to do. A Hall of Famer tagging along. I, I tag, you told them my first name's Dan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Al, thank you so much. This was a treat. I know pre and post game live will be wicked good, and we can't wait to <laughs> see you on it. And I uh, just want to say congratulations, an incredibly deserved honor, and I know everyone here is super happy for you. Thank you so much for taking the time, Al. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank Al. You, Al. This is the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. A huge thank you again to Al, a big thank you to Joe Fordyce, and a big thank you to Ben Barry, our podcast producer and guru. And Flyers fans, as always, thank you for listening to the latest Flyers Talk presented by Great Railing. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and listen, and we can't wait to talk to you next time.